Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Asherhaddon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. Okay, stop just for a moment. 150 years before this, the Babylonian king, or the Assyrian king, Asherhaddon, had called people from the Babylonian exile, the Levitical priests, had recruited priests of Levites to teach the people who were left over in Israel the commands of God. And it says in 1 Kings chapter, uh, 2 Kings 17 that lions were actually attacking God's people in Assyria, and so they went and found the Levites to teach them the law. So 150 years, these people had been pluralistic, they had been syncretists, and they worshiped Yahweh and also other gods. And Zerubbabel knew this. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. This is 539, 536 B.C. Verse 4, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed the counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of King Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. It's 15 years. And then now in verse 6, it skips ahead another 20 years or 35 years. It skips ahead another 35 years. And in the reign of Ahusserus, and in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, flip to verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. Letters were written by the people against God's people to make them stop rebuilding. And the complaints against God's people were, listen, they'll withhold money from you if you let them rebuild this temple. The king will be dishonored if you let them rebuild this temple. They have rebelled before, they'll do it again, and they'll take over the whole area. Letters were written back and forth. And then in chapter 6, verse 13, under King Darius, who's the king that came after Cyrus, we read this. Then according to the words sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, that is beyond the Euphrates, and Shethar, Bonzani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, the king. That's 516 B.C. 
And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. And they offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls and 200 rams and 400 lambs. And as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their division for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And on the 14th day, the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together, and all of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles and for the fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Ezra chapter 4 is a confusing passage to read. It's written in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. And much like you read in detective stories or you see online, uh, on, on Netflix, you'll see, you know, you'll see maybe the crime happen and then you'll see a flashback where it will say four days earlier. And that's something of what happens in Ezra chapter 4. It begins at the reign of Cyrus and then it's a flashback to when Ashurhaddon ruled 150 years earlier in Assyria. Then it comes back to the modern day and fast-forwards 15 years. Then it fast-forwards another 35 years. Then it fast-forwards again another 20 years. And then as you get into chapter 6, it comes back and it discusses the role of King Darius. And the point of Ezra chapter 4 to 6 is this, that God is at work through the opposition we experience, especially in our workplaces. God is at work in the opposition we experience in our workplaces. Now, the people of God were under Cyrus's decree. He commanded the people of God to go and to rebuild the temple. So they had a job to do. They came back, 42,360 of them came back to the land to begin to rebuild. And as they're rebuilding, a group of people who had existed in the land for 150 years, who worshiped Yahweh, yes, they worshiped Yahweh, but they also worshiped other gods, came to Zerubbabel and said, Zerubbabel, we want to help you. We worship your God. We want a peace. And he knew the motive of their hearts. And he knew that the command was given to God's people for those who worship the one true God exclusively. They were to rebuild the temple. And so Zerubbabel looks like he's being exclusivistic, but what he's trying to actually do is be faithful to the decree that had been given to him by a pagan king and ultimately by the Lord himself. And I don't know about you, but have you ever at work experienced an ethical challenge 
that may have made things easier for you if you would have just complied? Zerubbabel faces that issue here. There are five, there are five points about work that I want to bring out in Zerubbabel, I mean in Ezra chapter 4 to 6, which is about Zerubbabel's leading of the people to rebuild the temple. I'm just going to jump into them and we're going to illustrate them together. Number one, your jobs, just like Zerubbabel had a job, your job are good as they relate to the effort of extending the gospel. Your jobs, your employment is good as it relates to the effort of extending the gospel. In Ezra, everyone whose spirit God had stirred prepared and returned to Jerusalem, it says in Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. And when I say your job is good as it relates to extending the gospel, I do not mean that your job is good as it relates to being the leader of a church or being a minister or being a missionary. I mean something far bigger and more biblical about what God's kingdom is. God's kingdom is not simply people sharing the gospel at work. You extend God's kingdom when you extend his rule and reign throughout every corner of the globe. God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How does he use you to extend his glory in your industry? Like you are at work not just to be able to earn money to support your family. You are called by God to use your gifts in the particular industry he has called you to to extend the kingdom. How? By making the best product you possibly can. By serving your employer in ways that are ethical and moral to the best of your ability. Daniel's job, for example, in the Babylonian captivity was to serve Nebuchadnezzar and to make the economy of Babylon hum and be as effective as it possibly could be. And he was very good at it. And your job is to be able to extend God's kingdom in the quality of work you do. And it may mean it's the way you talk to people on the phone when they call. It may mean it's the way you treat your clients. It may mean that it's when you view your client, you view your client not just as somebody who is part of your book of business so that you can earn a greater bonus, but you view them holistically as a human being that needs to feel and know the hands and feet of Christ. And when I say work, I don't only mean your employment, though I certainly also mean that. Zerubbabel was the governor called back to lead in the reestablishment of the temple at the time, but certainly he had far more than just his duty to rebuild the temple he cared for their spiritual needs and rebuilding the altar. He cared for their physical needs and helping make sure that they had the supplies that they needed to feed their families and to accomplish this work. And your work is good as it relates to the effort of extending God's kingdom. Two. We are to serve our employers in trust that God is active through the decisions and actions of non-Christian people and institutions. We are to serve our employers in trust that God is active through the decisions and actions of non-Christian people and institutions. Now, many of us have Christian bosses, and it's wonderful, and many of us do not. 
It is serving those who are non-Christian above us a Christian thing to do. Well, of course, we are to submit to the governing authorities over our life. Just as Romans chapter 13 says, and this applies even to those at work. When those decisions are ethical and moral, we are to serve them with all our heart. Cyrus was God's chosen instrument. Whether or not Cyrus recognized that, he was used by God to extend God's purposes. And by God's common grace, he often, in your place of work, he uses non-believers to extend his rule and reign through the quality of the products that you make, through the quality of the services that you render, through the way that your industry helps push back the fall and makes earth a more beautiful place. As we serve our employers, we serve them as unto the Lord. Cyrus was not a Christian. Darius was not a Christian. Xerxes was not a Christian. Artaxerxes was not a Christian. All of these rulers, God used every single one of them, in fact, to protect his people and to allow them to flourish. We serve our employers in trust that God is active through the decisions and actions of non-Christian people and institutions. Now, what does that mean for us? On the one hand, if Christian values seem absent from your workplace, friends, do not despair. God is still at work. And on the other hand, if you are tempted to see yourself or your organizations as paragons of Christian virtue, beware. You haven't yet arrived either. God is actively at work through those even with less visible connection to him. Just as Zerubbabel served a pagan king to accomplish God's tasks, so often he is at work through non-Christian people and institutions at our workplace. Are you with me? Okay. Number three, you must make moral decisions at work even if it will create trouble for you. You must make moral decisions, the right ethical moral decisions, even if it will create trouble for you. Listen, Zerubbabel would have had a ton of people to help him. Those people who lived in the land for 150 years came to him, and they just served it up. We want to help you. We've got our pickaxes, and we've got our shovels. We're ready to help you rebuild the temple. And it says, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua said to them that you will not be involved in the service of rebuilding the temple because it was commanded to God's people. And it sounds rude to us. Why wouldn't Zerubbabel just let them help him? But Zerubbabel knew the motive of their heart. And he knew that Cyrus gave God's people the command. And under God's command, Zerubbabel knew that their motives were ulterior and that they would, in the end, take down the project. And so he said, no. There's a friend of mine who, um, years ago, told me the story when we lived in New Jersey some of you know this story. I may have used it in a sermon illustration before, but uh, he, he and three other men had a, had a consulting company, and they consulted with large companies, companies that most of us, you know, think about common names of. We know the, those companies. And one time, MTV came to them, and MTV had this massive project that they wanted this, these three consultants in their company to lead them in, and it involved a lot of money. And, uh, and, and my friend who's telling me the story 
said, I was really torn about it because I, man, it would have helped our company, but I knew that I didn't feel comfortable leading MTV to become better at what they did because I just morally had a problem with it. And so what was he to do? Is he to sabotage the contract? As a Christian, what do you do when you're faced with a moral problem that may mean more for your company, but actually it goes against your own conscience? And so this is what my friend did. He went to his two partners and he said, brothers, listen, we have committed to each other. And I've said to you, I am in to help you flourish, but I am struggling over this because I have an ethical objection to helping them flourish. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve the company like I always have. And if you vote, I'm going to vote against us taking this project on, but if you outvote me and we take it on, I will do the best I can, but I'm going to let you two split the profit. And so they had a vote, three dear friends, and they outvoted them, and they did the project, and the project just helped their company a great deal, and when it came time to split the profits, guess what he did? He split the profit with his partners and didn't take a dime. And I'm not suggesting that that is a vehicle for us in our dealings, but I am talking about as Christians, you ought to be as creative as possible to both help your companies flourish and yet also operate with a consistent integrity that allows you to have a clean conscience before the Lord because you serve as unto the Lord, don't you? You must make moral decisions at work even if it will create trouble for you. The leaders of the province of Samaria, these who came to Zerubbabel, they they saw the emergence of these new people. And they knew that if they let the people go unchecked, if they didn't somehow get involved with them early and then head them off the pass and lead them into their way of life, that this culture of worshiping the one true God might take over. And they were fearful of it. And so what did they do? They turned their eyes to bribe officials against them. They bribed the officials. They tried to put fear and intimidation in their eyes. And it says in the text that they did these things to frustrate the project of God's a people, and it worked for 16 years. For 16 years, the temple went completely uh, untouched. And they sent letters back and forth, and they had to get the emperor involved of, of, of Persia in order for them to be released to then set their eyes back on the temple. And it took a prophet named Haggai and a prophet named Zechariah in 520, to rise up and to compel God's people and say, what are you doing? Even amidst the opposition, God has given you a job to do. And even in the face of opposition at great trouble to them, they continued the rebuilding of the temple. And by God's grace, back to our earlier point, they used Darius to provide cover for them and even provide some of the expenses they needed to accomplish the work. All right, so the main point is that God is at work through our op- the opposition that we experience in the workplace. Got it? And your jobs are good as they relate to extending, to the effort of extending the gospel. And you must make moral decisions at work even if it will create trouble for you. Fourthly, earthly 
wealth, and power are not a necessary reward for your faithful work. Certainly God's people worked through Cyrus, and Cyrus remained wealthy and powerful and and unbelieving. Meanwhile, God's people were only slowly recovering from the poverty of exile, and they are working their tail off to try to just make sure they had ends meet. And we should be on guard to think that our effort is always financially rewarded because it's not. And some of you know the tension of this, and it creates a deep bitterness in your heart. Some of you work so hard, and you feel like you support your family so little. And you look at others who seem to not work that hard at all, although you don't know the whole story of how hard they're working. But your perception is they work very little and they make very much. And the truth is, earthly wealth and power are not a necessary reward for faithful work. But nevertheless, friends, know that God is working through all things to extend his power and his glory through your gifts. And unless you're able to have that massive perspective of the world, then Satan's technique is just to get you bitter against those who seem to be well off and doing the same amount of work as you. Cyrus had everything he needed. What was he doing? While we're busting our chops, rebuilding this temple with these massive stones and yet barely able to feed our families as they came out of the exile and they came against the poverty line again and again and again. Those of you who lead companies also, some of you do it so beautifully. Oh my gosh, I would love to be able to share examples of how, but there are your opportunities to share those examples with your friends of how you are leading so beautifully and so well. I heard a story this week of, of someone who made principal at their firm and and they made principal, and they had a long-term boss that was over them, and he was a principal. And when they made principal, this gentleman asked his longtime boss, with whom now he was a principal together, he says, now that I'm a principal, tell me what our relationship should be like. And his longtime senior principal looked at him, and he says, well, I think our working relationship should continue in that I will continue to serve you. (laughs) You will continue to be my boss, he said to him. One principal with senior authority to the junior principal who just made it. And in that moment, it was a beautiful picture of of one who had seniority and saying, "I, I serve you. Like You have done such a good job that we're in this thing together. And there was no seniority in terms of the relationship. It was beautiful. How do you treat those who are underneath you? Do you love them? Do you serve them well? Earthly wealth and power are not a necessary reward for faithful work. Fifth, your efforts might be successful. Your efforts might be successful because of non-Christians and we should honor them. Your efforts might be successful because of non-Christians, and we should honor them. 
the very end of Ezra chapter 6, it's Darius who provides cover for God's people to resume rebuilding the temple. It was Darius who years later was able to see through the bribes and see through the opposition, a pagan king, and he put a stop to it. Let them flourish. Let them rebuild the temple. And so they finished the temple in 516 B.C. They finished building the temple of Zerubbabel, the second temple. And they celebrated. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles, they kept the Passover. They slaughtered 100 bulls and 200 rams and 400 lambs and 12 male goats. They, they threw a party because we got to flourish even under the hand of a non-believer. And doesn't that remind you of someone? Doesn't that remind you of someone else who, whose efforts were successful even despite the opposition of non-believers and who honored them without opening his mouth like a sheep led to the slaughter of Jesus in his trial. Jesus, the greater Zerubbabel, could have, at a moment's notice, ended the game, but he didn't. Jesus knew that the work that was called of him to accomplish by his Father needed to be accomplished even at the hands of non-Christian Roman soldiers who spat upon him and beat him and nailed him to a cross. Friends, some of you in the last couple of weeks have just shared with me, man, work is hard. And it said in Genesis chapter 3, didn't it, that Adam's work would be difficult through the toiling of work and labor and the ground would bear thorns and thistles. Work is hard this side of the fall. And even your Savior, Jesus Christ, saw that his, his efforts were successful because of the work of non-Christians that the Father used to accomplish his purpose. So despite however hard work is for you right now, I just want to encourage you that God is at work beyond what your eyes can see. And kids at school, God is at work in helping you think his thoughts after you and helping you grow in intellect, whether it's at home school or private school or public school. He is helping you learn, whether it's in college and you're back to visit your family. He's helping you learn. And by using the common gifts he's given us to extend the gospel, we are called to extend his kingdom as the waters cover the sea. Should we evangelize at work? Of course, when the opportunity is presented to us to do so, yes. But sometimes that's against explicit company policy. And we must therefore be creative and intentional about how we serve as unto the Lord. As these verses make clear, the Jews actually accomplished the work that was given to them by Cyrus. And their labors were successful because the help of two pagan kings who inaugurated the project and helped see it through in order, and they even paid for it to be accomplished, in order for God's renewal program to continue. And your Savior, the Lord Jesus, also accomplished the work that was given to him. Though it was hard, and though earthly wealth and power did not accompany his work, he faithfully served because there was a bigger vision. And I wonder if you have that bigger vision this morning.
I wonder if you see how massive the good news of the gospel really is. It is so much bigger than just knowing the Bible, though we should know it. It is so much bigger than just evangelizing at the water cooler, though we should do that. It is so much bigger than just using the ministries of Trinity Presbyterian Church to extend the gospel. He uses your gifts Monday through Friday to extend the gospel. And so would you, would you join with me this week? And would you pray, Lord, use me at work. Would you show me that you are at work through the opposition I experience in my workplace? Would you show me that my job is good as it relates to the effort of extending your rule and reign through the gifts that you've given to me? Would you help us to serve our employers in trust that God is active through the decisions and actions of non-Christian people and institutions? And would you help us to make moral decisions that honor you even if it will create trouble for us. To remember earthly wealth and power are not a necessary reward for faithful work and to know that our efforts might be successful because of non-believers and we should honor them. So friends, come to the table this morning asking the Lord not just to strengthen your heart, not just to strengthen your soul, but to strengthen the work of your hands as you extend his rule and reign in your occupation, be it moral and legal. You serve as unto the Lord and you should do it with all your might. Amen? Let's pray together.